it's such a familiar story, isn't it? And yet it's, uh, it's important to let it be told again in fresh and faithful ways. It's that kind of the one drug that hit us fresh. I think Mary probably would have been quite pleased with a package of hampers. <laughs> Some milk. It's just a jug. I haven't had that yet. <laughs> Thank you for coming tonight. It's so good that you're here. It's, uh, it's good to just gather together and celebrate. I know it's a mixed, uh, it's, it's a night with mixed feelings for a lot of people. For some of you, it's, this is just favorite time of year, and for others, this is a really difficult time of year. I always feel it's worth acknowledging that, the complexity of it. It's not worth just sort of thinking everything's merry and bright, but sometimes it really isn't. And that's why it's good for us to come back to Jesus, the one who comes right into the the mess of our lives right in the middle of it all and deal with it and carry the weight of our brokenness the weight of our guilt the weight of our shame and call us into new life so whether you're here tonight and things are really good fantastic if you're here tonight and things have been difficult while well, you're in good company and he's uh, he's still game whether things have been good or things have not been I think each of us is an innkeeper. We've seen this sort of thing before. We've probably seen it on Facebook in a little meme, perhaps. But it's really true. Each of us has the choice to welcome Jesus into our lives or to say, no, there's no room here. No room in me for you. Thank you very much. <laughs> and as the video points, just point them over there. In one sense, Jesus is still arriving. Some refer to it a threefold arrival of Christ. In fact, Father Gabriel of, of St. Mary Magdalene puts it this way. He says, Jesus came with love to Bethlehem. He comes with grace to our souls. And he'll come again at the end with justice for the whole world. The first arrival, his first advent, is the arrival to Bethlehem. It's a matter of history. It's a real-life event. It's an event that's fundamentally shaped our world forever. The third arrival, the final advent, is his return to the world, coming once and for all to set things right, to overthrow the powers of evil and sin and death. But we live between the first and the final advents. And between those two is his arrival today, coming with grace into our souls, which is why we can say, the king is here, and mean quite truly, he's here right now with us. Throughout Advent, here at the church, we've been reflecting on the prophetic passages in Isaiah. This is just this sense of, of hope for God to come among us and rescue us and set things right. This, this call to redemption that God wants to free us from sin, free us from all the mess up of our lives. And you get these great pictures. You get this picture of nations flooding back to God the sense of reconciliation between people groups, that we, that perhaps more than ever, we long to see that today, don't we? In a world that's so fragmented and so prone to violence and so broken. We get uh, pictures like, like uh, swords, instruments of war being, being turned into instruments for gardening. We get pictures like the wolf lying down in peace with the lamb. We get pictures like a child being born 
of a virgin. And what's fascinating is Jesus, he fulfills and embodies all of these hopes. It's as though in him, God is actually calling nations back to himself. The Bible goes and explains that story to us as Paul goes out on his missionary adventures after the resurrection of Jesus. In Jesus, we are told often that he's the way of peace, that in him we can actually love our enemies and the wolf and the lamb can lie down together because we found true life and love in him. And we discover perhaps best of all that the picture of the child being born of the virgin is in fact entirely true, that God has come to dwell with us. And we can rightly say, Emmanuel, God here and now with us. He has come, he'll come again to finish and fulfill his work, but we're invited to let him come tonight with grace into our lives and to bring that new life that Isaiah calls, bring that to bear on us today. That's what that passage in Titus is about that we had Rob read uh, just at the end of there, the the last thing that Rob read for us. Titus says this, he says, the grace of God has appeared. When you think of grace, it's like undeserved favor, right? Like someone extending love and compassion and saying it's okay to you, even though you don't deserve it at all, right? That's grace. And God's grace, says Titus, has come to us in the person of Jesus. He's come to actually be with us because he just loves you. And he's come to cut out the root issue of sin in our world. It's so important that he actually wants a relationship with you, that God himself would come. And that grace, this grace that Titus says has appeared, is not just for some. It's not just for the good people, you might say, the ones that we think deserve it. And it's not just for certain people of certain nationalities, for all people. It's not something you earn. It's not something you're born into. It's not based on your status or lack thereof, your education or lack thereof. It's not based on whether you do nice things that you get this grace. Because the astounding truth, folks, is that God actually extends this to us while we're still his enemies. He chooses to die for us. And Titus says, this is the grace of God. He gave himself to redeem us. Redeem us into freedom from sin. Sin's one of those words that we don't really like talking about. In fact, there's a few churches that have sort of banned the word sin because it's it's too uncomfortable and it made people feel itchy. I don't know. They just didn't like it very much. Maybe it triggered them a little bit, you know? They just, oh, no. Jesus has some things to say about sin and it's important for us to be really honest about it. In John 8, Jesus says, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. It's almost like the analogy of of being addicted to drugs or something. The more we sin, the more we live a life that's apart from God, where we're pursuing things, uh, pursuing our lust or our envy or our own selfishness or our pride, it actually becomes addicting. We actually want to keep doing it. It actually shapes our, our minds and our imaginations. We want to keep living this way. The problem is sin has an incredible cost. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, we want people who commit crimes to experience the just penalty, right? 
When we hear stories of someone who's done something absolutely horrible, we want them to get what's coming to them. We want justice. We want the world set right. The problem is, it's not just the worst things that have consequences. It's not just other people's sin that needs to be punished, but ours as well. You and I contribute to the problem. So sin's addicting, and it has this terrible cost. But perhaps worst of all, it creates this chasm. It breaks down the relationship we can have between God and ourselves. <coughs> Just like in a, uh, how cheating or lying breaks apart a family or a marriage. Any of you who are married here tonight, you know that when the communication breaks down, there's like a chasm that opens up. And it can be so difficult to bridge that chasm again until we learn to kind of lay down our own issues and our own self-centeredness and try and reach out and love to the other. Hey? Sometimes it's really hard to do. But this is why we need grace. It's like sin disconnects us from God. And if God's the source of life, then to be disconnected from life means instead to be pursuing a death. And that's why we need a Savior. And that's why the major points to the cross, that God has come to do something about this root problem in our lives and in our societies. He doesn't just ignore the problem and say it doesn't matter. He doesn't downplay it and say, well, you didn't really, you know, you didn't really know good enough, so you'll, you'll, you'll get away this time. But once you become a parent, this, this is so interesting to navigate. When my son doesn't listen to us, we can downplay it and be like, well, you didn't know. I mean, he knew, right? We'd be like, well, you didn't really know. So, like, it's okay. And he's like, yeah, great. Woo! Get away with it. Fine. Or I could just ignore it. Sometimes that works with our second son. If he has the lamp and is shaking it violently, and we just sort of let it go for a minute, he's like, oh, that doesn't get your attention? Okay. Fine. I will try the Christmas tree. You know? And he goes and rips something off. It doesn't do either of them good to ignore the times they disobey me or to downplay it. They actually have to learn what's right, right? If I actually want them to be like thriving grown up someday, who will like contribute to society and don't, you know, do ridiculous things, actually be like normal functioning human beings. It's part of my job to help them grow into that, right? God does the same thing with us. He doesn't just downplay our sin or ignore our disobedience. He actually knows he needs to deal with it. He deals with it by coming himself, taking the punishment that we deserve on himself. First Peter 2 puts it this way. It says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Die to sin and live to righteousness. And that's what Titus means by being redeemed. Jesus takes the consequences of our sin on himself so we can be set free and forgiven and made new in him. I think it's worth noting in a world that has lots of lots of messed up ideas about who God is, that God is not a harsh God who just sort of tells us we've done wrong and then kind of leaves us to pay the punishment. Just kind of says, like, you obviously you're off. See you later. It's almost like he'd be in his rights to do so, but he doesn't. 
Because the Bible tells us instead that God is merciful and gracious. And this is why he's come down to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. He doesn't have to do that. But he longs to bring sinners like you and me back to himself. He offers salvation for all, says Titus. That's why I love this passage in Titus 3, 4 to 7. Let me read it to you again. It says, when the kindness, you think God is kind? The kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared. He saved us, not because of the righteous things we did, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth, the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, not mine, by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. 1 John 3 puts it this way. This is how you know what love is. Jesus Christ laid his life down for us. And Titus goes on to talk about the the change of behavior that happens when we come to Jesus. When we come into a relationship with the king in the manger, it actually starts to change our lives. At least it should. As we start to make decisions while we choose what God would want for us rather than just kind of getting into our own, again, the list, the pride, the lust, the envy, it actually starts to change our minds. It actually starts to change how we want to behave. Again, it should. We want to renounce evil, said Titus. We want to start to put away the self-serving, the self-seeking, because we've actually become heirs to a new life. You've become adopted into a new family. And the inheritance God wants for you is now freely given as you come to him. He comes with grace to our souls. I read an example of this in action just the other week. I got a letter from Adult Teen Challenge. And many of you from the church, we've been talking about them and they're wanting to start a, uh, an office here in Dry and help deal with the drug problem in our city. Got a letter just an update letter from them. And this is from Reverend Steve Paulson. He's the executive director. He wrote this. And this illustrates so much what Titus talks about. Jesus coming and transforming our lives. It says this. Kelsey, a 2019 graduate, shares that 18 months ago, her life was broken, hopeless, and chaotic. She was a single mother, lost in addiction to drugs and alcohol. Kelsey overdosed and ended up in jail. It was at that darkest place in her life that Jesus met Kelsey, and she experienced his true peace. Today, Kelsey is walking in freedom from addiction, and she's reunited with her young daughter. Although she continues to face the challenges of life, which is so true, it's not just all suddenly a bowl of cherries, right? She continues to face the challenges of life. It's the love and peace of Christ. That sustains her. And it's my prayer that you too will experience Jesus as your Prince of Peace this Christmas. 1 John 4 puts it this way. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they 
in God. Friends, the same God who came to Bethlehem that night, who reached out to Kelsey just in this past year, reaches out to you tonight. He's come to save you, to wash you clean, to renew you by his spirit, to make you part of his family, to make you an heir, to transform your life, and to welcome you home to loving arms. Do you know him? He's taking our darkness and our brokenness and our death and bringing light and wholeness and life. Do you know him? Each of us is an innkeeper. We all have the choice to welcome Jesus into our lives. He comes with love to Bethlehem. He'll come with justice at the end of the world. But he comes tonight with grace for our souls. Do you know him? I'm going to invite us to pray together. Perhaps you've been a Christian for many years. You come to the Christmas Eve service all the time. This is your jam. You love it. You know it. This is it. You get the candle going. Where's the wax candle you're saying? Let's go with the real ones. You know what this is all about, but perhaps it's good to be reminded again the gift of Christmas. This sheer grace that God pours out on us. That you're freed and that you're forgiven. Or perhaps it is the first time you've ever been here. Or maybe you've heard it before, but you've never made a decision. You've never laid down your life. You've never repented of the sin. You've never opened your heart to the grace that God wants to bring. I want to invite you to receive Jesus and that gift of salvation tonight. I'm going to pray. If that's you and you want to accept Jesus in your heart, you're welcome to pray this prayer in your heart. Uh, as I pray it along, please come find me after the service. We'd love to talk with you more. Let's pray together. As I pray, worship to you guys and come back up and prepare to lead us to the final song. <coughs> Lord, thanks for this night. We love you. We thank you again for the gift of salvation, the grace that you come to bring to us in our sin, our brokenness. Lord, I pray for those who have walked with you for many, many years. Lord, would you encourage us tonight? Remind us again of the freedom and the life you give us. But friend, if you're here tonight and you've never received this grace, and you would like to, I invite you to pray with me, even in your heart, quietness of this moment. We simply say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I ask for your forgiveness. I believe Jesus Christ is your son. I believe that he died for my sin that you raised him to new life. I want to trust him as my savior. I want to follow you, Jesus, as my Lord. From this day forward, guide my life. Help me to do your will. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. <laughs> if that's you tonight, we'd love to talk with you after the service. Have a very Merry Christmas. God bless you. See you later.